Well, hey, Life Church, how's everybody doing today? Everyone doing okay? Man, it is so great to be back with you guys. And um, let me just start off by saying this. I'm a little bit conflicted right now in this moment. I'm somewhat confused because I'm not too sure who I am to respect the most. Is it like Pastor Aaron for being an incredible leader, friend, pioneer and brother? Or is it Pastor Dylan for being able to eat all of that crazy hot sauce? I'm not too sure, right? You know, it is an honor and a privilege that I get to be with you guys today. It always is. Um, We count it not lightly. It actually feels every time we come here that I am amongst friends and family. So thank you so much for your warm welcome. And let me just say this as a preliminary story for you all. Um, It's kind of funny for me to be here today in your church where I've been a bunch of times, but to be stood here with Josh, who's our worship leader back in Liverpool, leading worship with you guys, because let me tell you, tell you, um, it is true that we have a little bit of a something right now at home at Liverpool One, but we started hanging out with your pastor and some of your staff team right from day one when we had nothing and were no one, and, and we're still nobody now, but I just mean we didn't have anything at all, and actually Josh was the first person to ever walk into our small, tiny, 15-people church as a guest. And I just think, looking back, that occurrences like that happens because there are people like you on the other side of the ocean that's willing to invest in the underdog and actually not help people only around the corner, but also around the world. So thank you so much, Life Church. Give yourself a great big round of applause because we exist in part because of you. We're going to be jumping into part two of our current series, How to Sabotage Your Life. And today we're going to be talking about a really interesting subject because I'm going to be telling you the very things that I'm not supposed to tell you when you're in church. I'm going to tell you five really clear and distinct ways that if you want to, you can implement these things and you can wreck your faith. Because I actually think if you want to sabotage your life, then a great way to go about doing that is to start off by wrecking your faith. In the UK, we're just getting to the back end of our summer period now. We kind of enjoy summer a little bit later than you guys. And as a family, we went away on holiday. And we'd hired this like villa, so we weren't in a hotel. And on the first day that we arrived, my wife Emma said, hey, listen, we're going to have to go and get some shopping in. Now, We're a family of like three boys and all our family was there and it was me and our youngest child that were, you know, the victims to be dragged around the supermarket to go and get the food in. And my wife knows that like, I I hate shopping, I am useless at shopping, that this was going to be a really laborious chore for her. So I think that she picked the youngest one thinking that he might be some kind of a help. And we went into the supermarket and we had two trolleys and Emma's like, right, I'm going to go and get the important stuff. So she's going to buy the healthy stuff, the fruit. And she said to us, go and buy some like drinks, get some ice cream, get some snacks and get some nibbles. So we like just push this trolley around and we're like just filling it with all kinds of junk. I mean, like we've got Cadbury's chocolate, Mars bars, Coke, Jaffa cakes, the lot. I mean, we're going crazy. And we meet my wife at the checkout, right? And she's like looking at me, frowning in the trolley as if to say like, what have you picked? And I'm like, blame him. It's, it's all him. You know, it's our youngest fault. 
And at that time, our youngest just got a little bit distracted, a little bit disorientated, and I have no clue how this happens, but he ended up leaving the trolley that we had been filling, and he mistakenly picked somebody else's trolley. Nobody realized this at all, and we like checked the whole thing through. And whilst we're outside the supermarket with about 10 bags of shopping, I'm like looking down, and I don't even know if this is a thing here, so forgive me if this doesn't translate, but I'm looking in the bag, and I'm seeing like these bottles of Lipton iced tea. And I'm looking at this thinking like, who buys Lipton iced tea? Like, this, is, this must be of the devil, because tea, tea comes in the form of a tea bag, and you, di- you then pour the hot water in, never the milk first, and then a small splashing of milk, and then if you want a little bit of sugar, like that's how you make tea, that's real tea. Lipton iced tea, counterfeit, okay? Like don't travel that journey, it doesn't end well. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying to Emma, like why are you buying Lipton iced tea? And she's like, I would never buy Lipton iced tea. And Solomon's going like, well I haven't bought Lipton iced tea. And then we started to go through some other bits and we realized that not only did we buy Lipton iced tea, but we've also bought some bird seed. And we're thinking, why have we bought bird seed when we're on holiday? Like, what, what on earth is that about? And then all of a sudden it dawned on us that we have literally committed trolley theft. And I don't know what the consequences are going to be, right? And we've not only taken somebody else's trolley, but we've paid for all of their items. And now we're stuck in a taxi carrying all this stuff that is not going to help our holiday one little bit. And all of this carnage is caused because one person, the kid, started to drift off and get distracted. And now we're having to drink Lipton iced tea or holiday. And I'm not happy about that. But I think it's the same in all of our faith lives as well, you know. There can be times and seasons when you just get distracted and you end up drifting off and you can end up inadvertently being at a place where you've never chosen to go to. Actually, drifting in your faith presents the same challenge that it gives to my faith life too. And this is a big deal. In fact, it's so much of a big deal that even the writers of the Holy Scriptures talk about this idea about it's something that we should avoid. In fact, there's a writer in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to look at this passage of Scripture in a moment, and he basically gives us this warning because he's kind of trying to say to us, look, even though we're followers of Jesus and we love the parts of Scripture that are going to build us up and make us feel like we can go and conquer the world, there are other parts and passages of Scripture that sometimes are a little bit hard to swallow. But I don't want to be the kind of leader in a church that talks about the good stuff and not the difficult stuff. And I know that that's exactly the kind of church that you guys are a part of here at Life Church. So I want to read to you this passage of scripture that's taken from Hebrews 2 that actually is almost like a bit of a warning where we're told to avoid the challenge and the difficulties that comes when you drift off in your faith life. Hebrews 2, chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1, sorry. He says that we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. If there's one way that you want to intentionally go about sabotaging your life, then you can do it very easily by wrecking your faith. And chances are, if you're going to wreck your faith, it'll probably start by drifting away in your relationship with God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying it to us like this. He's saying, I want you to know that I think it's possible 
for every single one of us to experience this as a real world, real life challenge. Like it's possible for you to drift away. It's possible for you to fall behind. It's possible for you to get lost. It's possible for you to just go off piste. And oftentimes you don't even mean to. The writer knew it's possible for you to wreck your faith. He was saying it's possible for you to allow something that might right at this moment in time be so upfront and center and something that you're so passionate about. It's possible for some time in the future for you to drift away from that very thing. It's possible that what you're loyal to right now, you might not be loyal to forever. He was saying, look, guys, you've got to be careful that you don't drift in your faith. Because if you drift in your faith, you're going to end up sabotaging your life. And the writer of Hebrews is not the only writer to actually talk along this theme. In fact, if you were to, we're not going to go there, but if you were to go to the last book of the Bible written by John, Revelation, he kind of carries out this same theme too, where he kind of says to us, look, you've got to be really careful if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to be careful that you don't fall away from your first love. There's another passage of scripture within the same text that says to us that with regards to how you relate with God, make sure that you only end up being either hot or cold. In other words, whatever you do, guys, don't end up being lukewarm. And this is a little bit gross, but the language that's given to us is almost like that of saying, if you end up being lukewarm, like neither in, neither out, I mean, at least if you're cold, at least you're making an intentional choice to not follow God anymore. The writer was saying, you can be hot, you can be cold, but you don't want to be lukewarm. Because if you end up drifting away in your faith and becoming lukewarm, then you end up becoming the kind of person that God, this is a little bit gross, but God would want to spit you out of his mouth. So I don't want us to drift in our faith today because I know that we can actually end up sabotaging our life by doing that. But just in case you do, I want to give you five clear directions that if you want to wreck your faith, you can follow these and I promise you, you will get there even if it's just inadvertently by drifting alone. So the first thing you've got to do if you want to wreck your faith is You should neglect your time spent with God. Whatever you do, if you want to wreck your faith, do not create a moment in time every single day where just for 10 or 15 minutes, you choose to get a cup of coffee, center yourself and pray to God and read his word. Whatever you do, if you want to wreck your faith, you should absolutely neglect your time with God. Don't create yourself a life-giving habit of even just reading one small short passage of scripture that sets you up for the next 24 hours. Neglect your time spent with God. Do not form a daily habit. And whatever you do, not only should you neglect your time with God, because by creating a moment of time would see you have this strong and vibrant and real and authentic relationship with your maker in heaven. And we want you to know how to wreck your faith. So you should avoid doing that. But you should also choose to never get involved in church. Like fight it, okay? If anybody ever asks you to volunteer, be involved on a team, just, just push it away, rebuke it, say absolutely not. Refuse to get involved in a local church. 
Because if you were to get involved in a local church, start serving, start to find your place in the community, because really, that's what we're building here. It's not just a church. We're building a community, a gathering of followers of Jesus. And if you get involved, chances are that that sense of community will be strong within you. If you get involved in being on the same page and taking this church to wherever Pastor Aaron wants to lead you, then chances are that's going to outwork by strengthening your relationship with God. So if you want to neglect your faith life and wreck your faith, avoid spending time with God. Don't get involved in church. And whatever you do, don't earnestly seek God. Because what the writer of the psalm says in chapter 63 verse 1 is this. He says, oh God, you are my God and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And you've got to know that spending time with God, it's not like a checklist. It's not like a process of something that you have to do and you've got to go through. You've got to know if you earnestly seek God, if you knock on the door, the door is going to be opened and you're going to end up living with this sense of a real and vibrant relationship with your maker. So if you want to wreck your faith, you should avoid doing all of this at all costs. The second thing that you should do if you're intent on wrecking your faith is you should blame God. Like blame God, doubt God for everything in everything. If you get a flat tire on the way to work, you should definitely blame God about that, okay? If you run out of petrol or gasoline, as you would call it, in fact, let's not talk about gas, okay? Because you guys are paying like $3 a gallon. Like we're paying over 10. Like that is a reason for me and Josh to move to Milwaukee right here, right now. I'm just saying, like I, I'm gonna blame God about the price of gas we're paying for. But if you wanna wreck your faith, you should blame God for everything. Whatever you do, don't trust God. Whatever you do, don't do what the writer of Proverbs encourages us to do. When he says in Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In other words, don't trust in God with a small portion of your life, but trust in God with your entire life. And then it goes on to give us a promise that those people that trust in God with their entire life, with, their, with all of their heart, then he ends up directing their path straight. Well, that's not what we want today, right? What we want to know is, how do we wreck our faith? So if you want to wreck your faith, make sure that you don't trust in God. Because when you do trust in God, I'll tell you exactly what happens. You become aware of this deep-rooted sense of reliance on somebody who literally is holding your world in the palm of their hands. And you can experience crazy on the outside and yet live in perfect peace on the inside. But if we want to know how to wreck your faith, then you should just blame God. Blame God if you get a diagnosis and it's not what you wanted and it's not what you hoped for. Just blame God. Blame God if redundancy seems to be looming for you and it doesn't seem fair. Just blame God. Get angry with God because that's bound to work out well for us, right? That's bound to take us to the place where we want to end up in life, right? I mean, the reality is, is we know 
This isn't going to help us at all. But if you want to wreck your faith, blame God for just about everything. The third thing that you should do if you want to wreck your faith is always give in to temptation. Whenever something fun seems to be out there on the horizon, you should take it and grab it with both hands. Like just give in to temptation. Because if I remember scripture rightly, Adam and Eve gave in to temptation and it all worked out perfectly well for them, didn't it? So we should do exactly the same and hope that we would have the same result too. If you want to wreck your faith, then set your moral compass really low. Set the bar really low. You can sleep around, play around, do drinks, do drugs, go to the club, do this, do that. If you want to wreck your faith, then just give in to temptation. Whatever you do, don't resist temptation. Like we could talk about what James, the brother of Jesus, says in James 1, 14 through 15, where he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know what this writer is telling us? He's just letting us know that actually if you end up being enticed into sin and into temptation, it carries this idea, it's figurative, it's a metaphor, this idea of actually you're being like that of the prey that's waiting to be captured. And he's kind of letting you know that actually if you end up giving in to temptation, then you'll give in to sin. And the problem with giving in to sin is that sin... It doesn't lead anywhere healthy. It doesn't lead anywhere good. It doesn't lead anywhere vibrant. It leads to death. So if you want to wreck your life, just give in to temptation all of the time. If you want to kill off your relationship with God, then give in to temptation. And whatever you do, don't believe what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. Paul says this in chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation. And he's talking about how temptation really works in your life and that in mine. He says, no temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know what he's saying here? If you ever feel like what you're presented with in life is a temptation that is too great for you to be able to say no to, he wants you to know that your assurance that you can walk away from that and live a healthy life, that you can say no to that, is given in the fact that it's presented to you. Because God is not going to allow you to be tempted beyond that which you have the ability to say no to. So don't believe what Paul writes if you want to wreck your faith. Just simply be intent on giving in to temptation. The fourth thing that you should absolutely do is spend time with bad influences. Get yourself some crazy people in your world, okay? Because that's going to work out really well. We have a saying in our church, and I think it would probably apply here as well. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because who you run with in life really does show the direction that you're traveling in. And if you're intent on wrecking your faith, if you're intent on having the kind of relationship with God that feels broken, disjointed, a little bit abrupt, constantly out of sync, then you should absolutely get yourself some crazy friends and have more and more bad influences in your life. Because in the same way that even the slightest of breeze can take a ship off course, drifting away out into the depths, It's exactly the same thing that happens 
with the people and external forces and friendships that we allow into our world over time, they cause you to drift away in your relationship with God. In other words, you end up living in a place in life that you've never chosen to go to when you hang out with wrong people all of the time. Hang out with people that are bad for you. Hang out with people whose language is crazy around you. Hang out with people that make you go crazy too because that's bound to work out for you. In other words, if you're not married, you should absolutely marry a non-believer because like two completely contrasting worldviews is bound to work out great in a marriage, right? Like that's bound to work out well for you. Like if you've got completely contrasting views to people and your, your, your outlook on, world, on the world and life is different, you should absolutely run with them if you want to wreck your faith. Whatever you do, don't do what the writer of Proverbs says, where he talks about this idea and he says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. You want to wreck your faith. Don't walk with wise people because you're going to end up becoming smarter. You're going to make wise choices. Wise things will happen in you and through you. And then he goes on to say this, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So if you want to wreck your faith, hang out with foolish people. The consequence is going to be harm, but we're okay with that because we know what we're trying to accomplish today. We're trying to sabotage our life. We're trying to wreck our faith. If you run with the right people, you end up in the right place, a healthy place. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 15, he gives us this short passage of scripture where he says, just don't be deceived, don't be tricked, don't be fooled. Bad company always ruins good morals. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how able you think you're going to be to reject their advances, to reject their crazy plans. Paul's like, hey, listen, just so you know, when you run in the wrong circles, it's always going to affect your morals. The fifth and final thing that you should do if you want to wreck your faith and sabotage your life is that you should love the world more than you love God. You should keep God in second place in your life. You should put him on a shelf that you never look at and never visit and never go to. You should just love the world way more than God if you want to wreck your faith. You can start to believe that your eternal home is this world where you are right now. You can start to obsess over things that don't really matter when we think eternally minded like money and being a celebrity and fame and have I got this coming up? Have I got that coming up? Like you could just focus on all of those things and at the cost of not living a life that's fully devoted to God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, there's almost like a, a warning and it says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, he's not trying to say that God doesn't love the world because we know, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We know that 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 one's done. We've dealt with that issue. But he's saying, look, you can't love the world more than you love God. And I guess that perhaps the best way for you to realize, do you love the world more than you love God, is to start to ask yourself this question of whether or not you ever share the love of God with anybody. Like, if you really want to know how to wreck your faith, never share your faith with anybody. 
Because if you share your faith, then that life-giving relationship that feels real and authentic to you that you might have known in the past will start to become known by other people too. Let me show you what happens when you share your faith and hopefully you'll be able to cut through the accent as we watch Lisa's story. My first memory is um, at home with my family. Um, we were in Too Pleasant. My dad um, suffered from alcoholism. Um, therefore, my mum then suffered with mental health. My mum and dad sort of like lost the, the ability to give us good guidance um, and direction. But I know that I, I, I wanted that. I craved the, the goodness of life. Just didn't know where to find it. I was carried on with my search for this better way of life. So I engaged in the local community, um, like dancing, uh, youth clubs, and I was just trying to, to get a bit of stability. I'm um, trying so hard. I was attracted to another way of life. Um, got introduced to cannabis at an early age. Um, thought, okay, let's just see what this is about, see if my place is here with cannabis and with these type of people. Um, but again, it progressed. Um, so in my first year of uh, being a mom, I enjoyed it. Second year, so young, drinking, taking drugs, cocaine, um, and that got the better of me. I was addicted to heroin and crack cocaine and methadone. Biggest mistake of my life, not realising that it was slowly stripping me away from life. The drugs had so much power over me. Um, I was just existing, wasn't living. So lost. I thought it was another baby, because I um, could fix that. I did the job for a, a few weeks. The drugs were still there. I give up. Days I give up. So I lived as an addict for seven years. Um, nearly ended up in prison. <sighs> as a result of the crime, uh, my kids were taken off me under an SGO order. They were fostered into care. Um, and I was left on my own. And my mum suggested and invited me to come to Liverpool One Church. So it did, I came along. Wow. I just, I didn't know there was a way 
to live like a Christian life, to worship God for the goodness that he is, he's done and what he's capable of. Uh, I was told I'd never get my kids back. Two years clean after putting a lot of effort in. I, I got, I got them back. Um, my two youngest are in the church. Um, they come to Powerhouse every Sunday and they love it. Um, Powerhouse is amazing. I'm confident for my children to be raised in this church because when I was a small girl, I would have loved to have come to, to, to Liverpool One Church. For me to go to Powerhouse at a young age, jumping around the way I see the kids do now, I'd have loved that, really was. I've just been thinking about how how connected are, are my two youngest are with God already, they know him. I was baptised uh, this year. Um, it was early on this year. God has transformed my life. He's turned it upside down. And he's not stopping. I'm so hopeful for my future uh, and my children's future and my children's children's future. Uh, I believe we've been blessed to have found this church. I just like the way I'm living, yeah? Everything seems so much clearer and brighter. I can be more happier, yeah? I am so, so, so grateful to Liverpool One Church. You see, Life Church, there is way too much at stake for you to be willing to wreck your faith. You don't know what could be on the other side of you choosing to not wreck your faith, but instead maintain a healthy, living, life-giving connection with your Father in heaven. You do not know what is on the other side of your willingness to pursue God with all of your heart and be willing to share your faith. It's the sharing of your story, your willingness to invite somebody to church that makes life change happen, just like we've heard in Lisa's story. And it doesn't happen by mistake. It happens when we're intentional about deciding actually, I don't want to wreck my faith. I don't want to sabotage my life. But actually, God, early in the morning, earnestly, I will seek you. Because can you imagine, just for a moment, can you imagine the difference that you could make in your family, in your street, in your neighbourhood, in your community, in your town, in your region, if we together collectively, you on this side of the pond and me and my church on that side of the pond, committed to living out our faith life in earnest pursuit of a God who is completely perfect and loving in all of his ways, yet committed to loving imperfect people people just like us. You don't know what hangs in the balance of you being willing to pursue God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. So rather than sabotage your life, and rather than wrecking your faith, my prayer for you, Life Church, 
is that we together passionately pursue a loving God and see life change happen all around us. Because that's what happens when we allow God to outwork His loving kindness that He has for humanity through ordinary and regular people just like me, just like you. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes real quick? Let me pray for you all and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, God, we all, we want to be involved in making stories like Lisa's story. We want to pursue you, God, with all of our heart. God, we don't want to end up being lukewarm or cold. God, we want to passionately pursue you for all that you are. So I pray on this day that even though maybe we have experienced some of these things before, of what it's like to wreck our faith, Maybe some of us have been drifting away from you today. As we worship, we draw a line in the sand and say no more. Because we are all intent on pursuing and chasing after you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And we ask this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's worship, church.